Would you pray with me? Lord God, may we sing joyful praise. I pray, God, that we would find gratitude in the midst of our lives, that we would recognize each and every day the depth of your love and more its impact on us. To know that at our very, the very ground of our being, that we are created and loved unconditionally by you through the grace of Jesus Christ. And that that is the foundation of who we are. And that as a response to that, God, we gather together and we worship. We worship you with our whole heart, body, soul, and mind. So Lord, today, help us. Help us to grow in our worship. Help us to learn how to worship you more. To that end, Lord, I pray that you would pour upon me the gift of preaching. That my very frail and broken and human words might, by the power of your Holy Spirit, become your living word. Uniquely crafted for each and every one of our hearts. We pray this with great confidence. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, for the last two weeks, we've continued our sermon series on worship. Why we worship. How we worship. When we worship. We've been reminded our worship is a form of covenant renewal. Where we intentionally come to remember how God, through the new covenant in Jesus Christ, what we celebrate at this table here today, that through that, he has kept his promises to us, to show grace to us, to forgive us, to renew us, to literally make us innocent again because of God, God's love for us in Christ. And so we come to remember his promises, and then we also are called to renew our covenant promises to him. And all the elements of the service help us engage in this process. We worship God through prayer as we communicate openly and honestly with God. As we share our deepest concerns for ourselves, for others, for the world. And also as we honestly confess our sins and our need for God's grace. That is an act of worship. We worship as we hear God speak to us through scriptures read and sermons preached. And through participation in the sacraments of baptism and communion, like we will do today. Now at this point in the series, we're moving away from the explanation of how the elements of the service enhance our worship. To the more practical learning of the many ways we can practice and proclaim our worship. For we were created to worship God. King David writes in Psalm 29... Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. If we recognize that God is our creator and more our savior, quite naturally we should desire to demonstrate our gratitude and our love to God by worshiping God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our body, our strength. Yet, for many of us, this is not our natural response. For many of us, this is not our natural response. And some of that is because I don't know if we, and this is one of the purposes of this series, I don't know if we have really thought about what it means to worship. And so when hymns are sung or songs or prayers are said, sometimes we're just sort of rolling along with it like we would listening to the radio or attending a concert. 
we have to engage our hearts. We have to give of ourselves. And when you read Psalm 150, like we did a few minutes ago, you feel that, right? You feel something within us saying, yes, this is, God is saying, this is what worship is. And so why isn't that a natural response? Besides not knowing, maybe. Maybe that's an educational piece. I think there's an inside piece. Because of our sinful nature that's within us, we humans struggle with the idea of owing anyone anything. And let's call a spade a spade. That's exactly what David is saying. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. We owe God. We owe God our worship because God is deserving of our worship. In love, God created us. In love, God saved us by becoming one of us and taking all of our sin on himself in Jesus Christ. That truly, in spite of all our sins, all our mistakes and failures, we are, in fact, absolutely innocent. We are absolutely innocent. Jesus' sacrifice made sure of this. And I just want you to take that in. Any mistake, what I said at the beginning of the service today, the broken part of us, right? Whatever that part of you is that you drug in behind you today, you can lay that down and be confident that in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. And more, we are pronounced righteous. We are pronounced innocent. We are pronounced white as snow. This is what God has done for us. And so we are called, right? To respond to God in worship. That's what Sunday mornings, but even more, our whole lives are really about. And so even so, in the face of such a debt, our sinful selves struggle with the idea of heartfelt worship. One main culprit is that critical voice in our head. You know, which the, you know the one I'm talking about? That critical voice in our head. When we encounter the command to worship God, that voice can be quick to object. Why? Because of our sinful nature, the thing humans love to worship most is ourselves. The things humans love to worship most is ourselves. We long to be our own God. And I think some of this comes rightly because we're created in God's image. Right? But it's broken, right, because of sin in the world. And so then it turns on itself. Yes, we reflect God, but we are not God ourselves. But that inner critic is quick to point out how worshiping God undermines the worship of self. It says things like, you can't afford to go in all in worshiping God. That demands vulnerability and transparency. You will look weak, dependent. What will those people around you think? And for many of us, that inner critic has trained us well almost to the point where we never question what it demands. Don't mindlessly trust that voice. It is anything but inerrant. In this case, that voice can actually give you the worst advice you've ever received. Yet it amazes me how quick I am to believe that inner critic when it justifies self-worship, what I want for me. But here's the catch. The more life we experience, the longer we worship ourselves or struggle with it, the more we realize that self-worship leaves us wanting. 
Now, this is not the world story. The world story seems to think that it's an insatiable process and we can satisfy our lives all the way through just by doing it. But most of us know better because when fully embraced, self-worship is actually debilitating. It leads to a breakdown in our relationships with God and with one another. For the more we worship ourselves, the more selfish we become, right? We justify that. The more selfish we become, the less anyone wants to be around us. I want you to think of the most selfish person you know. Hopefully it isn't yourself. (laughs) Do you like being around them? I mean, who wants to be around a person that all they do is blast their own horn, right? And that's what selfishness leads to. And our world out there, our culture, fully excuses that for the most part. There are some some places where you can't do that. But a lot of it is really driven about that. And so the worship of self ultimately leads to being only with ourselves if we take it to the full extreme. So at this point in the sermon, can I ask you a favor? During worship, could you be committed to shushing that critical voice in your head? Can we just say shush right now? Shush. Can we just quiet it? Can you, you do not, you are not having to listen to that voice. You do not have to obey that voice. I know some of you, and I've talked to you, that voice is incessant in your head. And it constantly breaks you down. It's constantly critical. And I'm just telling you, that is not the voice of grace or the voice of God. You do not have to listen to that voice. You can change the channel. You can totally object and push it back if that's the kind of thing it's saying to you because it's not the voice of god and it will hinder you from discovering the fulfilling life that we experience when we humble ourselves and actually do what we were created to do wholeheartedly worship god i am promising you this it is very counterintuitive especially in our culture today But if you, as we keep stepping through this series, if you will experiment, if you will take some risks, if you will open your heart up to God in worship and be conscious of what you're saying to God as you sing, as you pray, as you hear God's word preached, read, fulfillment. We were made to worship God. And the more we worship and the more wholeheartedly we worship, the more fulfilled we become. And so I'm asking you to experiment with me as we go into the coming weeks, right, as we continue to do this. Okay, Jeff, what would it look like for me to wholeheartedly worship God? Let's start by looking at how Scripture describes our worship. Psalm 42 says, Just like a deer that craves streams of water, my whole being craves you, God. My whole being thirsts for God. For the living God. There is, that's that desire. This is the desire, the innate desire we have to worship. The image of our need for God being like a thirst is not just found there. It's found in numerous places in Scripture. When we worship God, our worship quenches the deepest longings and thirsts within us. Jesus affirms this when he speaks of living water in the Gospel of John. He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. 
By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. The Holy Spirit's indwelling. For us to open our hearts to the presence of the Spirit, to welcome the Spirit, that would be part of our call to worship in the morning, in, when we gather in the morning here, right? That you would open your heart, ask God to fill you. This is God's living water, and it quenches our thirsts. What kinds of thirsts? Thirsts like fear and anxiety, the thirst of insecurity or guilt or shame, the thirst of feeling like you're not enough, the thirst of feeling like you have to listen to that critical voice. The thirst to be somebody. When we worship, God's Spirit, if we're open and God's Spirit fills us, God quenches these thirsts. And these are the thirsts that lead us away from God, that lead us into bondage or into fear or into being completely unable to function, right? If they get too much, if they take too much over in our life. Okay, so if a fundamental impact of worship is to quench our longings and thirst, how does Scripture tell us to worship? Well, Psalm 96 says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. We are called to sing, to proclaim his salvation, to declare his glory, to praise his name day after day. This is a a way of life. For God is worthy, the psalm tells us. Psalm 47 tells us, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. I know some of you don't like it when the worship becomes too exuberant. You feel like somehow that's an offense to God. Well, it's not. It's God. I mean, just think about Psalm 150, right? God loves our exuberance in work. You may not, but, but God, <laughs> God loves our exuberance in worship, right? We clap our hands in worship. We shout to God with loud songs filled with joy. Another way scripture encourages us to worship is in our posture. A.J. Thomas writes... Worship involves our very physical being. The worship of God is not something purely mystical that has no bearing on the physical world. It is mind, soul, and body together offering worship to the Creator. Psalm 95, which I don't have on the screen, says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Psalm 134 says, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Bowing, kneeling, lifting our hands. As we engage our whole body in worship, God is honored. And we experience more of his presence. I have found this to be true in my own growth in learning to worship. The more of myself that I engage in worship, the more I receive. Then, of course, Psalm 150, like we heard, pulls out all the stops. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and the pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. And just to make sure, praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. 
It's almost visceral, isn't it? All kinds of instruments jubilant. The brass, to strings, to pipes, to tambourines, to cymbals, resounding cymbals, even clashing cymbals. And in the midst of such exuberant music, we are to dance and sing with all of our being. For everything that has breath was created to praise the Lord. Everything. Creation itself worships. This is toward in the middle of Psalm 96. I started with 96. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. In Isaiah it says, let us go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth before you into singing. And all the trees, the trees will clap their hands. And I'm telling you, you pay attention, the trees clap their hands. It's amazing to watch a big old um, tree and the leaves just start working as the winds blow through them. And once we tap into this, we begin to see that worship doesn't just happen here. In fact, some of the best worship we ever experience is out there. As we join in with all creation in worship. So once we learn to truly worship, and as we learn to kind of trust that God's created us to do that as a fundamental piece, and the more we worship and learn to worship, the better we will feel the happier we will be, and we experience that, all the benefits, then we learn that worship is always with us. It's something that can, we can turn to at any time and any place. You guys have heard about my Sabbath walks I take in the morning. I go out and I get outside, and I pay attention to all this, the bird songs, the birds in flight, the squirrels around me, the blue sky, the green grass, the trees, the breeze, the sun, all of it. And I intentionally join with it in worship. And I want to tell you a counterintuitive secret that I have found. When I enter in, when I walk out in the morning and I'm feeling anxious or fearful or overwhelmed or sad with grief or whatever it is. When I connect and I spend the time, what I find is this. In my insignificance, I find significance. What do I mean by that? As I realize that, Jeff, all the worries, all the responsibilities, all the stuff you're carrying, all of that that makes you feel like the world is upon your shoulders, guess what? You can sit out on this bench and you are part of all creation worshiping. You are just this little bitty thing in all of the galaxy. And you are joining with it all in worship. And as you do, you are doing what you were created and as this truth and as you enact it, what I find is as I acknowledge my insignificance, I find my significance. That I am the Lord's and that all those things I was worried about begin to leave me because I'm just this little bitty dot in all of creation that's worshiping. And it takes the load off. It makes me feel calm because I am doing the one thing that I am called by God to do today. I hope you will experience 
and experiment with that. So we are called to be all in, all in in our worship. I remember when I was at Fifth Avenue in New York, when I was attending Princeton Seminary, and I was in worship. It's this huge space that holds 1,800 people, and there was a balcony that wrapped around. And we're singing the doxology. And I want you to think about, does your heart just rejoice when you sing the doxology? I mean, it might. But i got to say, when you sing something every week, it can get awfully familiar. And I'm standing there singing, praise God from whom, right? You know it. And I'm looking across, and in the balcony, there's this 20-year-old girl in her 20s. And she is worshiping. Her hands, and I'm not saying it has to be about it. You can just see it. Her eyes are closed. She is concentrating with those words. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Even something that we sing every week, if we approach it right, can be filled with worship. So we have the opportunity each and every week to be all in in worship as we pray, as we listen wholeheartedly to God's word preached and scriptures read, as we engage in the mystery of communion, as we will do today. And the same is true of our worship in song. What we learned today, we're called to engage with our whole heart, soul, mind, strength, and body. And more as we leave this place, we can be intentional to find space every day. It doesn't take long, five or ten minutes, to go out and communicate and connect with all creation. To intentionally come into God's presence and join creation in worshiping God. So as we come to this table this morning... Don't miss this opportunity in communion to worship. What is about to happen is you're having the opportunity in worship that God is telling you that he is faithful to this covenant. That's what this table does. So that's part of worship today. You're receiving and being reminded, God, you are so faithful. Thank you for the gift of your grace found in Jesus Christ that we celebrate in this meal today. Don't miss it. Prepare your heart. Receive it as we gather to say the sacred words. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.